0: Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Good, good, good. Um, so I thought I'd start off today with something a bit lighter than what I'm going to be talking about most of the time. Um, what do all three of these pictures have in common? Does anyone know? That would probably be true. Anyone else? Anyone? Something significant that may have happened yesterday? April Fool's. So who knows what the first picture of the polar bear was about in April Fool's yesterday? Do you Do you know, Rosie? No, not that. I think they, what they said was the polar bear swam down from the Arctic and got to Scotland because it's trying to escape um, the melting ice of the Arctic. Um, the second one uh, is of Prince Harry having a Vegas wedding um, the other night. Um, the third one is Michael Phelps, a famous Olympic swimmer, is going back into professional swimming. Um, so there's some kind of bit of a realistic one, but they're all fake. But you know what? Me... Um, Stephen Leonard and Lydia and my father, also known as Pastor Nige, decided to come up with this one um, and posted these around Dulwich and near Sam's house in Sydenham. Um, so first of all, we were, me and Stephen were like, you know, we need a decent idea. And we thought, you know, we're just going to use a bit of paper. We'll just stick them up near his house. And my dad was like, oh, no, you can't do that. We've got to take this more seriously. So we got the laminator out. We um, laminated them all, we got cable ties, we managed to do it so high up that Sam had to apparently scale a pole to get up to the top and take them down Other mornings, and I still believe there are a few loose around in Sydenham and in Dulwich. So, you know, we always want to make sure Sam feels special on that day of the year, especially, and we have no idea what will happen next year, however getting to a more serious note, because obviously that's why I'm here. Um, We're going to be looking today at this idea of Jesus being on trial. What was that all about? And specifically, we'll be looking at the trial with him in front of the Sanhedrin. Um, So far in our series of where Jesus would be, um, where has he been? What have we been looking at? Can anyone say anything or shout one out or two out by a lake? Anyone else? Yep. Donkey, parties, synagogue. Very nice. So yeah, Jesus has been all over the place, and we've now got to this point where we're coming to the near to the end of Jesus' life before his resurrection. And Jesus has, you know, you know, been a real kind of, as Sam was saying last week, you know, about all this stuff that was kind of leading up to this trial, and the Jewish leaders were, were desperate to get this guy arrested and killed and go out of the way because they were really scared that the Romans would take them over again, and they were really terrified. Um, that they would lose their power and lose their privilege in their society. So Jesus was obviously a problem. And, you know, Jesus was not the only person to claim to be the Messiah uh, throughout um, Jewish history. I think the theologian um, Joseph, um, I forget what his name is, but basically I think there was 12 major people uh, that started rebellions uh, in that time. Um, And... All of them failed, obviously, bar Jesus, and that's what kind of sets him out and sets a precedent for his authority and his actual messiahship. But, you know, Jesus was seen as one of these rebels. He was seen as one of these people that was just a fake, that was just someone that was going to screw things over and was going to get them all in trouble. So they decided, you know, to find Jesus in the middle of the night and decided to put him on trial. And throughout that trial there was many illegal practices. First of all, he was held it was held at night. The second one was he was interrogated without being charged. There were fault witnesses, and probably most importantly what I'm gonna look at today is this thing called the oath of testimony. So looking at the first one, um, in a trial that was gonna be it can't ever be held at night in Hebrew law. That's um, a fact that is kind of decided, um, theologians have agreed on by like Donald English, Chandler Walter, and Ralph Martin. That in Hebrew law, having a trial at night, especially for one that was going to end up in capital punishment, which the Jewish leaders were looking for, was totally illegal, and was something that they were not allowed to do. However, they were so desperate to get rid of this guy, they were like, you know, we need to get this guy rid of before the holy day, we need to get this guy rid of before the festivals start, in case it's going to cause a right ruckus in our in our place. Second, he was interrogated without being charged. You know, when we look through the passage um, in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, we see that there's all these kind of, these accusations, and what it says in the story is that none of them kind of match up, that they're all kind of, you know, going, oh, he said this, he said this, and it's all kind of never really pulling together into one solid story. And then we get to this point of the false witnesses, now, the false witnesses, their major kind of pull to kind of get Jesus in the most trouble was to twist a verse uh, that was said earlier in John. It's interesting that it's not mentioned, actually, in Matthew or Mark or Luke. And Jesus, you know, he famously says um, this verse. So he says, um, where is it? Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. So that's what Jesus says. That's in John 2, verse 19, if you want to write that down. And these false witnesses rephrased it to be this. I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So you see, it's similar, but they've taken some words, mixed them around, put some new ones in, and totally changed the meaning. And I don't know if anyone in this room, has that ever happened to you at work or in school or something like that? So you've said something and then someone's just added all this other stuff to it and tried to get you in loads of trouble. And I know... There'll be some of us in this room that'll be like, yeah, I, I, and I can definitely relate to that. And Jesus was just in this place of going, you know, like bring it on. And Jesus remained silent at that time. But then finally, Caiaphas, you know, he was frustrated. You know, he had this one objective on that night was to get rid of Jesus, to get him executed by any means. So what he does is he does this thing called a call, is called an oath of testimony. And what this is within kind of um, the Hebrew understanding is it's a question that you could ask in a courtroom setting and the defendant would have to answer. He was obliged under the law of God. So we see this, if you want to write these down, we see this in Matthew 26, verse 63. We see this in Mark 14, 61. And we see it in Luke 22, 67. In Caiaphas, he says to Jesus, are you the Messiah, the Son of the living God? or it's rephrased in different times. And Jesus then goes on to say this profound phrase. He goes, I am. Now, this is seen in Mark, so it's not actually seen in Matthew as we read earlier. So if you want to find it, it's in, here we go, it's in Mark 14:62. Of that passage, And when Jesus said this, suddenly this imagery would have been struck in the minds of the Pharisees that, oh, I am. Oh, you're claiming something to be beyond yourself. And it led to this whole idea of, you know, does everyone remember the story of the burning bush? Moses is there. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Who remembers that from Sunday school or whenever you heard it for the first time? And Jesus, you know, he's just very confident and he goes, I am. I am. I mean, it could be interpreted differently, but I feel for this passage that Mark was making a really distinct point going, I am in that. And then Jesus, you know, he piles more kind of fire, wood onto the fire, and he uses this quote. He quotes Daniel 7 verse 13. Now, it'd be good if we can read this together, and then I'm going to explain kind of why this is quite significant. So um, let's just start. Uh, one, two, three. In In my vision. So Jesus quotes this passage, or he quotes the first verse of it, and instantly you know, the Jewish leaders realized what he was saying. Jesus claimed to be this Son of Man. He claimed to be the Son of Man, and there's three things that's mentioned. First of all, this Son of Man was given sovereign power, so that's an attribute that only God can have. God is the only one that is absolutely sovereign. He was worshipped, which you know, for us as being people that, you know, believe in monotheism, there's only one God who can be worshipped and that's the only one worthy of worship. And finally, you know, this person, this son of man was given an everlasting kingdom. So these are three attributes that can really only be attributed to God. And rightly so, there's this absolute anger within the Sanhedrin and they just explode. So you could see that, you know, They've been desperate for ages. It's probably been a couple of years. Jesus has been really kind of winding them up. Jesus, not deliberately, maybe, but Jesus has really been winding them up, and they're just ready to explode. And Jesus finally gives his identity. You know, when we kind of look back into the Gospels, Jesus very much tried to hide what he, who he was. He tried to hide the fact that he was the Messiah. When the demons would cry out in different passages going, you know, you're God, and Jesus would be like, no, shh, be quiet. That's not the time for that. But this is the point where Jesus chose, you know, I'm not afraid anymore of saying who I am. I'm not, well, I don't think I was afraid of it, but this is the right time to reveal it because this is going to have the most impact uh, for the mission God has sent me to the earth for, my Father has sent me to the earth for. So as we see, after he says this, the high priest, you know, rips off his clothes and he shouts to him, Blasphemy, why do I need to listen to anything else you say? You're just, you're just a liar. And then after that, there's huge abuse. The Sanhedrin condemn him. And at this point, there's no turning back for Jesus. He has made his decision that he could have, at that moment, he could have said to the Sanhedrin that I'm just a prophet or I'm just a regular rabbi. He could have. Jesus has free will. He could have said that. But he knew in that moment that this was his time to go, I'm all in, and I'm going for it, and I'm not going to stop now. I'm going to take, as in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is going to take this cup of wrath on him. He's going to take this condemnation on him, and he's ready for it. He was ready for it because he was ready for us to be free, finally, from our sin. So, in this passage, Jesus stood so firm in his identity. He, he knew who he was. Jesus is this King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He was the Word of God. He was everything. He created the world with God. Him and the Father are one. He was the I Am. He was the Son of Man. And that ultimately is what put him to death, was that he was who he said he was. And, you know, in that passage, you know, we can obviously interpret it in so many ways, but, you know, he might have been using this as, his la- as their last chance just to get it. Jesus, time and time again, he was kind of alluding to it with the rabbis, but this might been the last chance going like, I'm here, I'm here. Look, I am the Son of Man. But once again, they just didn't get it. Maybe it's like they just don't want to get it, that they're scared, that there's so many other things. And it's interesting that at the very same time, Jesus says, I am who I am. Or he goes, I am the son of man. That Peter is in a garden just next to it and he denies him three times. And, you know, for Peter, he had forgotten the identity Jesus gave him. What was the name Jesus gave Peter? What was Peter called before he became Peter? Anyone know? Simon, And what was the name? Obviously, Jesus gave him the name Peter. But what does Peter mean? The rock. Jesus said, you're the rock. You're going to stand firm in all of this. That's your new identity. You're not going to be flaky. You're not going to be going side to side. He says, your identity is you're the rock. And I want to build you up. And I want to build a church using you. You're going to be a rock. But he forgot that identity. And time and time again in that garden you know, he just kept giving in. They said, are you a disciple? And he goes, no. And then he gets interrogated by other people. Are you a disciple? No. And then a third time, are you a disciple? No. And, you know, for us, you know, that can be for us when we get asked that at work or at school or at uni. They go, you know, has anyone ever here, like, felt really nervous about revealing their Christianity at work or in school? You guys are much, much stronger in faith than I am. Um, And for me, I I remember when I left secondary school. I went to a really quite strong um, C of E school. Really kind of explicit Christian kind of stance. They didn't really care too much um, about you know, you know. They wouldn't like let anyone bully us into that. Like we were really allowed to be quite explicit in our faith. And I was kind of in that kind of space. And I eventually went to a. I went down to Kingsdale. Uh, which is just the school down the road. And that's not got a Christian ethos at all. And I remember for the first three months that, you know, in secondary school, I'd always been kind of put in this bubble, like, I'm a Christian, that's what I do, I'm the religious kids, that sort of thing. And then I just was like, I don't, I don't want that for a bit. I didn't want it. So uh, the first three months, so September, October, November, and kind of part of December, I was like, I'm just to keep really quiet about this. I don't want to have that anymore. I don't want to be known as that. I want to just be known as Stevie and I want people just to like me for, for, for me. Um, although a significant part of my identity is my Christian faith. and A significant part of my identity is who Jesus is. And I remember when I first told someone, they, they asked me, uh, like, I think I was wearing a WWJD band on my wrist and they asked me, oh, what is that? And I was like, uh, and in my head I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to tell people what i am which is like the purpose of giving youth them by the way you know we should all we should all wear them it's a good conversation starter. um and for me i was just like i'm a christian and he was like oh that's interesting why um why is that and i kind of started you know, explaining kind of a bit my testimony a bit of who i was my background and that kind of like for me i was like okay that wasn't too bad and then as I started to be more comfortable in that fact, there was people in school that, you know, just really did not like Christians and would make it very, very clear to you that they would not, they did not like you, they did not like certain ideology that you may have, and that they would do their best to belittle you. Which is bizarre in a really inclusive society, isn't it? That That's fine, apparently. And so I was kind of, you know, for the first time in my life, really put under a test of, Am I going to stand firm in this, even if it means losing losing friends, even if it means, you know, being put into a box, even if it means not being included in certain things just because I claim to be who I am. I claim to be a, a believer in Christ. And that can just, you know, really, you know, it can really hold on us, the fact that we don't want to you know, don't want to take that step forward. We don't want to admit it because we're scared. We're scared of rejection. We're scared of things. We're scared of that identity being put under pressure. We don't want to argue our case. And it's really interesting the kind of journey God has taken me through with my identity on that front. And actually, I wasn't going to mention this story, but this is quite good. So I was we were running you mad a few weeks ago, and um, my friend Ben Pooley, some of you know, he drum sometimes here. He, um, he orders pizza literally every week, a few times a week, and then says, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get healthy. I'm trying to lose weight. And I'm like, mm-hmm, you may want to cut the pizza out. Um, but this guy that delivered Ben's pizza, basically, it was a really cold day outside. And I was like, oh, can you come in? Let's have it." and just kind of, why y- Ben comes downstairs. So Ben, for some reason, didn't come downstairs straight away. And this guy kind of says, oh, what are you doing here tonight? And I was like, well, tonight we're running a youth group. We're going to be talking about like, different things. Um, some of our friends are, go, are from Southeast Asia, and they're going to talk about some of their experience there. And he goes, oh, that's really interesting. So you guys are Christians. And then instead of like, asking like, a more reasonable question, he goes, by the way, do you know your Bible's fake? And I was like, okay. Nice to meet you too. Um, and we started getting this kind of discussion about um, the Quran and the Bible, and why he believed the Bible was fake. So we kind of started discussing different things and who Jesus was in the Quran. And thankfully, because I, during my time at uni, I was really keen on learning just a bit more, because my young people would ask me all the time in, my, in the church I was working in Essex, you know, what does the Quran say about this and that? And so I thought, you know, let's, let's do some study on this. And I realized that, you know, Muslim's believe in Jesus. They believe that he was born of a virgin. They believe he will come back at the end of the world. They believe he healed the sick and all these things. So he's this amazing guy within Islam. But the Muslims don't believe that Jesus died and rose again. They just believe he was taken away by the Father and that Jesus, Judas was in his place on that cross and it was all disguised. Um, so for us, you know, I was like trying to show this guy, you know, And he was just really convinced. He he really wanted to convert me. And I was like, mate, I've seen people come off heroin with that withdrawal. I've seen people in this very room that we were standing in be healed, like people that were in, you know, um, bandages. They 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 had just massively hurt their legs during the day, and we prayed for them, and they took the bandage off and started dancing. In that very space that we were speaking in there, I was like, why would I want your version of Jesus when I've got mine, when I've got the true one? And, you know, he didn't know what to reply. And I was, for me, I was like, you know what? I'm glad in that moment that, one, I knew kind of what I was talking about, but not fully. There's still loads to learn about Islam and about other people's beliefs. But at least in that moment, I was able to testify, you know, I am strong in the identity of the one who I believe in. And we can be in that too. We can really stand in that. We can really be firm in the fact that Jesus is true that Jesus is alive that Jesus is coming again that Jesus he was a sick that Jesus is not just a prophet he's God and that's why he died so for us you know we can move on to like what is our identity what holds us together what fundamentally is what we stand for now up here I've got all these different verses and I'm just going to read them out quickly and I want us to spend, you know, five minutes or so just looking at these, maybe writing them down in your notebook and just even opening the Bible up of them. These are your identity. These are the things, what your color of your skin, your job, all that stuff, secondary compared to this stuff. Jesus, you know, in Ephesians, we're called righteous and holy. In Genesis, we're made in the image of God because of a disability you have or because of your, um, your class, or your accent, or anything else, you are no less made in the image of God than anyone else in this room, or any humans ever existed, you're a child of God, in John 1 verse 12, you know, you've been made alive in Christ, God has adopted you into his family, you are part of his, his church, and he loves you, you're a friend of God, you're not just, God's not just there, and I'm here, we're friends, you can chat with Jesus, There might be different ways you will have that expressed in your life, through pictures and words, through Bible passages, through maybe the audible voice of God himself. But that's all open to you. You're loved. John 3, 16, Jesus died on a cross, say he loved you that much. Same in Romans 5, verse 8. You're accepted. Romans 15, verse 7. Some of us, that's going to be a big one. You know, we don't feel accepted by society. We don't feel accepted maybe by our own family or by our friendship groups. We don't feel that. And finally, we're free. And you know, in John verse 8, verse 63, it says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And with our identity, we can hold on to these things, that we are righteous, holy, we're made in the image of God, we're children of God, we're friends of God, we're loved, we're accepted, we're free. So I'm just going to leave it for a few minutes for just everyone to have a look at those words and really reflect on those facts And how do those things speak into your current situation, into your history, and into your potential future? Where do you feel insecure? Where do you feel not loved? Where do you feel not accepted? And just let God speak those things over you and listen to the voice of God as well. I'm just going to give you five minutes and I'll come and speak again. Yes, just got another minute or two just to really reflect on that stuff and just really ask God in this time and wait on God. Just say, God... What out of those things do I not believe, and how will you make how can I believe those things about myself?
1: I didn't know what Stevie was going to say exactly this morning, but uh, while we were worshipping, I had um a picture of a golden throne that was um it was surrounded by gifts like a christmas tree like a christmas tree um and what I feel that God's saying is that one of those gifts, has got your name on it. And those gifts have these things, these things in God's acceptance of you, God's love of you, God's freedom that he wants to give to you. And one of those gifts has the name of everybody in this room on it. But it's up to you what you do with the gift. So you can choose to open it and enjoy it, receive it, make it yours. Or you can open it and say, that's nice, and put it on a shelf and not really look at it. Or you can choose not to open it. God won't make you. it's not going to make you do any of those things. But one of those things, one of those gifts... Has your name on it. Thank you, Lord, that you that each one of us in this room is known by you. Everything about our identity is known by you. And you love us. You receive us. You accept us. And I pray that you would help us now to pick the gift up that's for us and receive it with an open heart. And be changed by what's inside of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for that. So there's loads to think about there. And we could be here for literally weeks on this subject of identity. Um, but obviously we've got a limited amount of time. Um, one thing that I was really keen to do just in this last bit um, was to talk about you know, our security in those things. And those things are put on trial by our friends, by our family, um, by those work colleagues, by schoolmates, by uni friends, by lecturers. We can stand firm in the fact that these things are true. And, you know, I did this model with um, some young people a few years ago, and I just found it really kind of helped people visualize this. So this first bit, this is what the world thinks of you. That is, you know, their opinions of you, your society's opinions of you. The second one is your opinion of yourself, what you believe about yourself, your, your likes, your habits, that sort of stuff. And this final box, this is what God thinks of you. This needs to be the firm foundation. Could I actually get a volunteer anyone up for blowing something over quickly? You up for it? Come on, mate. Um, so, mate, do you see that like chopping board over there? I love a lot of inspiration in my kitchen for this talk. So um, just pick it up over there, mate. See the white thing? Cool. So when our life is built on this, this is your fundamental thing. What does society think about me? And that's your, that's your foundation. And then you kind of go, I like myself as well, and that's kind of a bit firm. And maybe that goes there. And then finally, God... I know that's kind of true, but that's the last thing on my mind. That's kind of, you know, just somewhere sitting on top, resting. And for life, sometimes like storms can come. And mate, could you just kind of, you know, blow this as hard as you can using that thing? Come on. Thank you so much. There we go. Actually, yes, that's the I one. So yeah, if we see there, when the storms of life come, and this is your foundation, your life can topple over. Your life can be just screwed over in a second. But Jesus says, you know what? Put me first. Put me as a solid foundation. From what that solid foundation says, look at yourself. And from that final foundation, you can see society doesn't control you. It's not your foundation, but that this is your foundation. Jesus is your foundation. And then also, when the storms of life, they come, and you know, you're blown You're as steady as a rock in that. Thank you. Thank you so much. So as we see there, when Jesus is the firm foundation, when he is the one on the bottom, when he is the one rooting us, we can stand firm in the trials of life. We can stand firm in the ways of Christ. We don't have to give in to the enemy on any account. And as Jesus, you know, he stood there before um, this the Sanhedrin, when all they wanted to do was kill him. He was able to look them in the face and go, I am, I am the son of man. You're not going to control me. I love these people. And for us, you know, how do we get to this point where Jesus is the foundation, where he is the cornerstone of our lives? Fundamentally, we've got to remember that on that trial... He was there for us. You know, a lot of us, we can be controlled by our past, our present, and our future. The fear of our future, the, the, the horror of our circumstances, and our, how our past has dictated who we are. And actually for us, we need to remember, Jesus went through, over the next few weeks, as we talk about, you know, Jesus' death, his resurrection, and all the amazing stuff he does, we need to remember Jesus stood on trial because he loved us. He admitted who he was and he condemned himself to death because he loved us and that he was desperate for us to be back in relationship with him. He was desperate for us to realize all of these things about ourselves. So then we, through that identity and through that firm foundation, can change the world, can stand in front of every authority and stand in front of every person and go, I am accepted, I am free, I am loved, I am a child of God and no one's going to take that away from me. So in closing, I deliberately wanted to finish early today because I feel that for some of us this could bring up some stuff and I feel for everyone in this room, whether you know, you're really cool about being a Christian at work or at uni or at school or whether you're just terrified to admit who you are or whether you're somewhere in the middle, there's stuff here for you and I, I believe that everyone in this room can be healed of anything in the name of Jesus that their present circumstance does not dictate the rest of their future, that their past does not dictate their present, that that stuff can be transformed by Jesus and renewed by Jesus. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to pray, and I just want everyone to bow their heads. And as the Spirit leads, if you have a spiritual gift of prophecy, if you have a spiritual gift of tongues or words or whatever it is, and you want to kind of help me up at the front, pray for people, or if you have words and you want to help lead, that's really cool with me. Um, I'm going to leave that to the Holy Spirit. Um, But I'm just going to pray, and let's just wait in this place, and ask God, who am I? Father, we love you, and we thank you, that Jesus, you stood on trial for us. You stood in our place, Jesus, that you did not run away, that you love us so deeply. And Jesus for all the times when we have fallen short of that identity, when we have forgotten that we are children of God, when we have forgotten that we are accepted, when we have forgotten that we are loved, that you didn't forget that, God. that You still loved us, that you still held us. And Lord, as we wait on you to affirm that in us once more, Lord, would you speak through the people, uh, through all of us, Father, speak through words, speak through pictures, Father. I pray for anyone that's got prophecy, Jesus, that you would release that in this room right now. Yeah, just wait on God. Thank you, Jesus. If you have a word or picture or a Bible verse or something, feel free to come up and we can discuss how to use that.
2: Yeah, just when we were praying, I just felt that there was somebody here who you have an eating problem and um, the root of it is um, condemnation, that you're really down on yourself. And I know this is a really private thing. I don't think you don't need to come forward in front of anyone or anything like that. But um, if that's you, um, I feel that Jesus is saying to you, um, I'm going to set you free. I've been on trial for you, so you don't have to be accused. Um, The accuser cannot accuse you. You don't have to live in condemnation because I've gone on trial for you. So you can be free from that and you can receive my love and my healing. So if that's you, then maybe afterwards you can um, find somebody that you trust to pray for you, someone who um, I'm happy to, but um, if you have somebody else that, um, just to to respond to Jesus in your heart, because that's what he's saying to you, but if there is somebody that you can trust, then, um, you know, just to pray with you about that.
0: Yeah, one thing that was um, on my mind is just this word bereavement keeps coming into my head, and whether there's a few people or one or two people today that you're bereaving not just from maybe a physical death, but you're actually bereaving from a relationship of some sort, I just, I just feel that God really wants to affirm me in the fact that they're not you and, and that you know, the identity Jesus has given you is, he is he's your identity, he, you are in him and he's not going away, he's not dying, he's never going to die and that there is still hope So just uh, hold that in your heart and just know that Jesus is there with you in the bereavement. He's going to walk with you.
3: Um, I saw a picture of an eye with cataract on it. Um, But also there was um, like a cloud in front of the eye which was moving. Uh, So I don't know if this is a physical problem or it might be emotional or spiritual problem for somebody that can't see clearly Thank you
0: Thank you, that's great
3: Yeah, God is the God of the impossible and I just feel like there's lots of things that we have in our lives that we feel it's impossible to be changed and yet when we think of Jesus and he was on trial God had such a bigger purpose. And so you might be going through a real trial. You might be really struggling at the moment. But God's picture is so much more. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged that God has a bigger picture. And just as Stevie was showing us, you know, that foundation as we put our trust in God, we believe and hold on to all that He says about us. He will turn around every situation for his glory, that he will be glorified.
0: If you need to keep praying, do keep praying. Um, But we're going to kind of make a formal finish to this um, part. So I just want to finish off with this. Um, So Jesus, you know, he stood strong in his identity so that we could stand strong in ours, that we could move forward into the freedom that God has given us. And as we leave this place today, let us remember that, that we can now stand in front, of a, in front of people. We can now stand in front of those that will condemn us. We can stand in front of those who will belittle us. And we don't need to be afraid because that's not the most important thing. Jesus is. So I'm just going to leave it there and pray quickly, and then I'll hand back to Sarah. Father, thank you for everything that you've broken today, Father. Thank you for everything that you've fixed today as well, Jesus, and everything that you're renewing in this place. And God, I pray for every heart, every mind, every family member that we're connected to in this room, God, every friend, Lord, that they would see the renewing of what you've done today. That, Father, as we leave, that we'll be affirmed in our identity in you, and we will to walk in the victory of what you have done on the cross, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank
1: you.